Welcome to the Olmsted Salon podcast. My name is Dusty Brown and I am the host of the Olmsted Salon. The Olmsted Salon is the arts and culture outreach of Calvary St. George's Church in New York City. We seek to explore life through culture and conversation. We believe that things like mercy and grace can't be fully understood without uh, an honest exploration of life, um, without coming to terms with our own brokenness, uh, our own need, our own humanity. We, uh, we have various programs. We have a theater program. We have speakers that come. We have music programs. We'll hear about Jazz in the Cave in a little bit. Um, but first, we're going to be talking to the Reverend Ben DeHart, who's one of the priests here at Calvary St. George's Church, about the importance of story and how finding yourself in story um, can often be a prerequisite for hearing about the gospel, hearing the good news, hearing grace and mercy, understanding our need. At the Olmsted Salon, we, we tell stories uh, in, in a number of ways, and uh, it's never required that our storytellers come from a, a faith background. The element of story uh, is universal, and, um, and it's, it's an exciting thing to, to be able to explore art uh, in a way that doesn't have any prerequisites for a faith background. Um, because an honest exploration of life is always uh, a universal uh, experience. And art, at its best, is always an honest exploration of life. So we talked to Ben a little bit about that and also about our own um, evolution as people of faith and how that has led us to um, be able to have the freedom to approach art in an honest way, which is sometimes difficult for people in, in the church. Later on the show, we'll have our Jazz in the Cave guest, Manuel Valera, and he'll be talking about uh, his process as a, as a jazz musician and also about his experience coming from Cuba to America. Um, but first, here's the Reverend Ben DeHart talking about story. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I just enjoy fiction quite a bit. I, I enjoy story. Um, I think secondarily, um, I, I heard one time a theologian, Eugene Peterson, most popular for translating the Bible in like a contemporary idiom, but he's also a, a writer and he said one time, I was watching some YouTube video of him at a university, and he said that every time a good story is told, the gospel is well served. And I loved that. I think sometimes a story well told gives me language for something that happens within me, or a darkness within me, or an, or an experience, or grief. Um, and not just my own, but other people's. And I think that that opens me up personally as a minister to be able to empathize with others more, to be able to understand, but not just other people, my, myself. Um, have you ever read a book where you read this? Read, I read Dostoevsky once. I read The Brothers Karamazov. I actually finished it. Um, <laughs> and I remember reading this one section, um, and I had to put the book down when I was done because it had described me to a T. It mm. had given words to emotions that I have, to defenses that I hold up, and I had been found out. Um, and it was very powerful. I'll never forget it. Um, but I don't think I would have 
found those words without that experience, without that story told well. So Ben, have you always been somebody who, who has a, a sort of faith um, foundation? Uh, yes, uh, since I was young, I, I definitely, I've believed in God. I've believed in, in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I've, my, my parents, my mom is Jewish, uh, or she became a Christian. So I have kind of a finger, like the fingerprints of Judaism on my head, but I'm, uh, I've been Christian. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, as far as your, um, you're coming to Calvary St. George's. Uh, you went to Trinity, right? Yes. And um, so when you were a kid, I, I have this experience of when I was a kid, you know, I, I, have, I had a certain faith foundation that really drastically evolved into something now that in s- some people would say is unrecognizable from what it was. Um, of course, I would say it's, it's, it's the same um, thing with just a little bit more perspective. But do you feel like... Um, do you feel like your your where you're at now has evolved, and if so, what has it evolved from? Uh, it's definitely evolved. Um, yeah, I don't want to put too much emphasis on that because I I went through a period of wanting to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater of like completely rejecting my past or my church background that has very much shaped me. Um, but I think you know, with growing up with chilling out a little bit it's i've got no point where i can recognize that there was quite the foundation laid it was it was it was good um maybe not all was great but uh what will i be looking at 15 years ago now saying oh ben that was crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i mean yeah i think the love of christ um in very tangible and some might say even like kind of like bloody ways like real down and heavy kind of ways that I don't think that was very much reality to me this kind of overwhelming one-way love um, when I was younger and I think I may have been drawn to art that was not so good back then uh, so more like some preachy kind of uh, Christiany stories or art that's not very subtle etc because I was really looking for art to serve a purpose, and that would be, how do I become a better Christian, or how do I um, become a better person, as opposed to, thankfully, with the freedom of the gospel. It's, I don't have to have such a defensive posture toward what I would now call deem <laughs> better art. Being, being freed up to really kind of experience life, experience story, um, has definitely done wonders for my faith, but also just life in general, what I've learned to appreciate. Well, I relate to that too. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. And I think that as you know, what I think really it's, it's le- maybe it's less about evolution, more about perspective. Um, because I think I used to think that my relationship with God, as I perceived God was, very much like relationships that I have on earth with people and like I'll do my part they'll do their part and we're building a relationship and I think the main way that you know this kind of understanding the law and the gospel has affected me is that the perspective of that is like wow I'm literally just a recipient of 
good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no limit as far as really um, exploring the depths because the gospel is that big that um, the more, the deeper we go, uh, the more of an impact I believe the gospel has. Um, so Ben DeHart, Ben DeHart, Ben DeHart, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dusty. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. Awesome. Well, the song you're listening to is called Gemini, and it's by Alex Wynn in the Jazz Conceptions Orchestra. Alex is the curator for Jazz in the Cave, and he's also the music director at St. George's Church. Alex had a chance to sit down with our March guest, Manuel Valera, and talk about his process and the new Cuban Express. So yeah, we're really excited to welcome Manuel Valera and his group, New Cuban Express, to the cave on March 11th. And uh, we were first introduced to Manuel by the warden of uh, Calvary St. George's Church, Jonathan Hansen, who was just really um, impressed with, with you as a player and as a person. And um, so we're just really excited to uh, kind of have everything kind of come full circle and you're going to be playing with us on, uh, oh, yes. on Friday. I'm looking forward to the, to the performance. I always like this, um, this uh, series, this series uh, type of uh, venues. And it's always a lot of fun because there's always a, a good crowd and it's a listening crowd. So there's no... I d- I've been going more and more towards venues that don't serve food. <laughs> but you know, more like a concert venue. So this is perfect for what we're trying to do. Awesome. Well, I mean, maybe to start, could you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and then go into the group later a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I'm originally from Cuba. Uh, I came here to the United States when I was 15. And um, I started playing music at a very early age. I think I was nine. And um, I entered the conservatory when I was nine playing saxophone, uh, not piano. But um, in Cuba, everybody, everybody like my age and a little bit older has to learn piano when they enter the conservatory. So as soon as I started learning the piano, I was like, oh, what a terrible mistake <laughs> I've made. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, I couldn't switch. So I, I, I actually played piano and saxophone for about, uh, I guess, six or seven years until I moved here. And then I decided to just focus on the piano. Um, but that's just a little bit about myself. And hopefully that, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting that I love that Cubans uh, in, in the school system are required to learn piano first. I mean, I feel like it's like a well, great in, in foundation. The cons- in the conservatory. On oh, the conservatory, yeah, okay. Not, not regular, not, uh, not in regular school. Oh, okay, got you, got you. Right. No, that's, and, and um, so you came to, if I read correctly, like 2000, 2001 to New York? Uh, right? I moved here in the summer of 2000. 2000, okay, yep. yeah. And you went uh, to the new school? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was it was a really really great time uh, at the new school. So so many cats that are doing great things mm-hmm. now were on my class. Like people like Robert Glasper, EJ and Marcus Strickland, Mike Moreno, uh, John Ellis. You know, a lot of and 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 we have all sort of kept in touch through the years, and we played together and stuff. So it's it's fun. Yeah, yeah I always I mean like you know in the old days like with the. Um, with the jazz scene, you know, 
it was a little, it was, you know, there was not jazz education, but I've, you know, since jazz education has been such a big part of the music, you notice that people that attend the same right. schools always are usually go on to become colleagues and play together, right. like and grow together. Well, yeah, I think I think the the new school, especially w when I was there, was a little bit more open and sort of in a, in a way closer to the old school way. Where I mean, even now the new school has a system that you could really study with whoever you want. Uh, if you pass a certain proficiency level, you could study with saxophone players, trumpet players, drummers, bass players. Um, you don't really have to study with pianists. So um, um, for my part, um, even from when I got there, I, I was past the proficiency level that they require. So I was able to study with people like George Garzon, uh, Jeff Baller, uh, I took some lessons with Seamus Blake, you know, people that I really liked the way they improvised more. Because for me, it was more about the improvising than the actual piano playing. Mm -hmm. Because the piano playing, I could do. <laughs> you know. And uh, Seamus Blake was one of one of your albums, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's he plays on on three of my albums. Uh, my first one, and and the the two ones that came after that. So. You know, in looking at your your uh, discography of like the albums that you've put out, I mean, I'm just so impressed with how much you produced. I mean, I just don't know how you do it. Uh, but I mean, it seems like every year or two, there's something. I mean, well, I mean, I'm just well, so curious how you. When I when I first started, I started I started doing about one a year. Mm -hmm. Like it was, uh, I think the first one came out in 2004, mm -hmm. and then from 2008 to 2012, the, I didn't really produce anything because I was touring a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but then in 2012, I got this band together, the New Kingdom Express, and and I think that was my. I can't remember my sixth or seventh album or something. I yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but um, that that album actually got nominated for the Grammys in 2013, the Grammys for 2013. So that really gave my career a jolt, you know, sort of like a push forward. And, um, you know, things have really been going on the album up since then. So It's amazing. Yeah. Well, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that that group and um, and in in general, like the intersection of Cuban music and jazz. That that's kind of part of uh, that sound that you have in, right. at the group. I mean, that that Cuban music is pretty much influenced by by American music uh, forever. You know, like in the fifties uh, before before Castro took over, there was a there's still the club is still there. It's called uh, Tropicana. And you used to have all these people, you know, like the Orange Juice, Tropicana. But the club was very famous. It's like a cabaret. And, like, you have people like, you know, like, um, like Stan Getz, uh, you know, Knocking Cole. All these people would would uh, would play there. So there's always been a huge jazz influence in, in Cuba. And Cuba, by, the, by its proximity to the United States, has always been very close culturally to the United States. Um... You know, like like you could see now, like in Cuba, the, uh, we have all these American cars. And I think Cuba was one of the places in Latin America that had the most American cars before 1959. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like the first country to have a, to have um, a train in Latin America. It was the first country to have the phone that in Latin America. Um, so it's always been like sort of before before 1959. It was like up to everything that the U.S. was going for. That you know. 
because it's so close. Cuba was one of the first places to get all the things that the U.S. was developing um, mm-hmm. at the time. But musically, it's it's always been it's always been influenced. Even like, even like after 1959, when when the when the relations uh, ceased between the United States and Cuba, there was still the influence of 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 jazz mm-hmm. in pretty much all the music that came after. 1959 still, even, even, and even the groups in the 70s, groups like Irakere and uh, Los Bambang, they were still influenced by, by American music, you know, like funk and disco and all those things. So yeah. it's always been hand in hand. Um, and what I'm trying to do with the new Cuban Express is more, uh, it's more of kind of like a, you know the, the new take on on what they were doing in the in the seventies with like you know funk and 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 R and B and things like that in Cuban music, but uh, you know with a more modern perspective mm-hmm. and more modern playing, you know all the stuff we're in the in 2016, so it's, <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit different than 1975. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's where I'm at with that. And so the the group is um was it uh saxophone piano and i guess you have like keyboard mm-hmm. with that and then bass drums yes congas yep and um on at, at first the group had electric guitar mm-hmm. but we just for touring purposes we sort of gotten it down to to five people okay used to be six and on our last record the last group's record called emotion which is out on uh crisscross we actually we actually had a uh, alex cpagin Nice. With the band as well, so that became seven. <laughs> yeah, impossible so to tour with. For for people that don't know, Alex is a trumpet player. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you said that you came over from Cuba uh, when you were fifteen um, to America. Mm-hmm. Where where did you come and what was that like? Well, actually, um, it was it was quite a shock. Yeah. Because um, first of all, I didn't speak the language. Right. I mean, I spoke. You know, I. I we knew we were coming about six months before we came, so my mother insisted that I took some English lessons <laughs> from this British guy in Havana. So it was actually, I actually understood a little bit more than anybody else in my family. So I was kind of like the go-to guy for ordering stuff and, and all that, you know, ordering things at restaurants and things like that. But uh, I didn't really speak the language. Um, and we actually moved to, to just north of Miami in Hollywood. Florida, which is also a cultural sh- shock because, um, you know, in Havana, we ev- even with all its, its um, you know, its drawbacks, uh, you know, economically or whatever, it's still, like before 1959, Havana was like the second most important city in Latin America after Buenos Aires. Wow. So, you know, Havana is like, you know, it's like a metropolis. Yeah. So it's like living in New York with, yeah. with a lot less stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, like for me to move from there to Hollywood was like, you know, it was like shocking. Wha- it was like, wow, where am I? But you know, it was it was also good because um, in Hollywood they don't speak as much Spanish as, as they do in Miami. Okay. So, so it kind of forced me. So that was good for you because it was it, like, good. Put you out of your comfort yes. level, basically. So so it it pushed me to to really um, to really learn the language. And I was in high school at the time, so you know, you can't imagine, you know, go, you know, yeah. going right to history classes and, and science classes and all those things, and you don't understand the language. It was like, it's like okay, it's, yeah, you know, 
And the reason you came was um, just a more opportunity. Well, I, th I think it was my my grandparents came before us, like you know, maybe a year before, mm -hmm. and and they came to visit and they decided to stay. And then it was just uh, at that point, it was just uh, my mother, my brother, and I that were left in Cuba. So. So it, it didn't s didn't make sense for us to stay. Right. But of course, there's more opportunity here than there would yeah. have ever been for me in Cuba. Yeah. Uh, so it's I'm I'm forever grateful that you know that they brought me here, even though it wasn't really on my own. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, we're forever grateful as well. Um, I think that uh, I think we're all very excited about about this concert on Friday. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be a fun fun night. Well, thanks for talking to us. Uh, thanks, Alex, for, uh, for leading us through this. Um, Manuel Valera will be with us. I got that right, right? Will be with us on Friday at Jazz in the Cave at 7.30 and 9.30. Sets at 7.30 and 9.30. Tickets are $10. And uh, you can go to olmstedsalon.com for more information. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Looking forward to it. That was the Olmstead's Lawn podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank the Reverend Ben DeHart, priest at Calvary St. George's. I'd like to thank uh, our curator and, uh, and friend, Alex Wynn, for lending us his music and for uh, sitting down with uh, Manuel Valera. And lastly, I'd like to thank Manuel Valera, um, not only for being a part of our program, but for sitting down to talk to us and t telling us a little bit about um, some of his experiences. If uh, you have any thoughts or concerns, um, please feel free to uh, send them our way at the olmsteadsalon.com website. Uh, some of you have already been sending in your thoughts, and, uh, and uh, I think that that's just terrific. So keep, keep them coming, and, and we'll, we'll try to address them maybe on our next show. It's www.olmsteadsalon.com, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in.